Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Today's encore presentation features two special heart parents. One is Frank Selesky. The other is Allison Crimes. Unfortunately, and quite unexpectedly, on May 14, 2016, Frank Selesky passed away. We are heartbroken in a congenital heart defect community to have lost this special heart dad. Please enjoy today's special encore presentation featuring Frank Selesky talking about the daughter he'd love so dearly. I hope you enjoy today's encore presentation. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the third season of Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Our purpose is to empower members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. According to the Adult Congenital Heart Association, 90% of children born with congenital heart defects are living to adulthood. That's an amazing percentage, and for the first time in history, our adults with congenital heart defects outnumber the babies being born with congenital heart defects. The University of Michigan Health System has an excellent website that deals with children with chronic conditions. On that page, they state, Adolescents begin to develop their own identity separate from their family. Self-image becomes extremely important during the teenage years. That can be a problem when the teen's appearance is altered by illness or medication. Teens are also beginning to develop a very real independence from their families. Parents who have been very involved in their teen's care for many years may find it difficult to let go of their role as primary caregiver. Many teens will go through times of denial of their illness when they may neglect to take medications, follow special diets, or check blood sugars. In addition, the adolescent's body is rapidly changing, which may change the symptoms of the illness or the doses of medications needed. It is important to help the teen to gain control of their disease management. Keep in mind that even with chronic illness, teens are teens. Don't forget to talk about issues facing all teens, independence, college planning, sexuality, substance abuse, etc. Clearly, all parents have to deal with changes in their relationships with their children as their children age. But how is it different for parents of children with congenital heart defects? What happens when our heart warriors grow up? Our topic today is parenting changes when your CHD warrior grows up. And I have two excellent guests. Our guests today are heart parents, Allison Crimes and Frank Selesky. Allison Crimes is mother to Brendan, 21 years old, born with complete congenital heart block. 
He has had a pacemaker since he was six months old and has required four pacemakers in the last 21 years. Brendan's heart block was diagnosed before he was born. After birth, he was also found to have an atrial septal defect, or ASD, that was surgically closed. Other than his heart condition, Brendan has a genetic mutation that causes his body to produce tumors. The tumor secreted epinephrine, which led to a hemorrhagic stroke when he was 15, since they were unaware of the tumor at that time. This latest chapter in Brendan's life began in 2013, when a tumor was found and removed. Since then, he has been monitored for further tumor growth at the National Institutes of Health. At the present time, he has a very small metastasis on his hip bone. His current diagnosis is almost impossible for me to pronounce, so I'm going to let my good friend, Alessand, pronounce it. I'm going to try. Is it pheoparaganglioma syndrome? And he is stable. What do you think, Alessand? Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Alessand. Did I get it anywhere close? Uh, you were very, very close until the very end. It's pheochromocytoma paraganglioma syndrome. Okay, and I'll have that. <laughs> I'll have that on the website. That'll be part of Alisan's bio. So for any of the rest of you out there who have this syndrome, you can see how it's spelled, and maybe we can even put a helpful link to the National Institutes of Health or someplace, Alisan, your librarian. I'm sure you can give me a good link that we can put on the website for other parents who might have oh, children yeah, who are dealing with this. There's an advocacy group called the FIA Paratroopers, and so I'll give you a link to that. Okay, great. That would be perfect. Well, Alison, it's been such a long time since we've talked one-on-one with each other, so welcome. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. It's good to be here. Well, for those of you who do not know, Alison is one of the contributors to the heart of a mother. So she and I have known each other for quite a while. And we've known each other since our children were little. So I think this topic is especially pertinent for us. Don't you think so, Alison? Oh, definitely. Transitioning to being the parent of a child with a chronic illness to being the parent of an adult with a chronic illness is so difficult without having to deal with an entirely new illness to boot. I don't know how you're doing it, Alison. Can you tell us how Brendan has reacted to this new diagnosis regarding him learning to be an advocate for himself? Well, Brendan is a very, very laid-back person. He has never acted like he was any different from anybody else. He doesn't complain, he doesn't whine, he doesn't say, why does this happen to me? He has just dealt with every medical issue that has ever been thrown at him, and he did the same with this, and it was discovered during a time when he was transitioning from the care at the children's hospital to an adult hospital, because he was right at almost 21. We had just transitioned his heart care when the tumor issue came up and so he really didn't seem to let it bother him at all. I don't know if he hides his emotions. I think as the process went on in the beginning they found a small mass. They didn't know what it was. They waited three months. They did a CT scan. It was still there. It hadn't gotten bigger. hadn't gotten smaller. He didn't act like it bothered him but then he used to have a PET scan And they did the PET scan, and it lit up, as well as a lymph node close to it. I think maybe as the process went on, he got a little more stressed. They didn't seem to worry about it. And then they 
still didn't know what it was, and I remember calling him and telling him we're going to have to do a biopsy, and he seemed a little mm-hmm. nervous about it, and he just said, they still don't know what it is. And so that was really the only hint that I had that he was really worried about it. When he was first having some pain in his side that led to us even having this checked out, I sent him to the doctor, and it was the first time he'd ever been to the doctor by himself. And I was worried that he couldn't even give him his medical history. So I had the doctor's office fax me the form that I could fill it out and fax it back to him. And so it's really hard when you're kid doesn't know that information that he handled everything. Great. It really is hard. And, you know, the way that I've handled it with Alex, Alex is 20, and when he turned 18, he decided he didn't want me going to his pediatric cardiology visits anymore. He could do it. He knew the routine. He'd been to so many cardiology visits growing up. He felt like it was time for him to be on his own, and I was so nervous about it. But I've been so impressed with how well he has done, and he's been able to acknowledge that I'm the record keeper. I'm the one who is the binder with all of his material, or multiple binders with all of his information. (laughs) And so he's so sweet about, he comes back and will sit down and he'll tell me what the doctor said. He hands me any paperwork the doctor has given him and asked me to put it in his file. And just recently he had to see a new doctor for a new problem. I actually got the last couple of appointment notes that he had given me. And I said, this may be helpful for your new cardiologist. And I just verbally went over his history with him, and I don't know that he appreciated it a whole lot at the time, but then when I asked him how the appointment went, once again, he did not want me to go in with him, even though it was a new facility, a new doctor. He told me it went really well and that he was glad that we had gone over everything. I mean, our kids have complex histories. This is not, you know... Oh, I just had my yeah. muscles taken out when I was a kid, and I had ear tubes put in when I was little. I mean, what they've had done is just so major. And I think it's harder for some people than others to want to own that. Yeah. Brendan always, and, when the doctor asks questions, he always looks to me to answer. And so I've started let him answer and then fill in details as we go along. So that's kind of my first step at trying to do a better job. Yeah, I was really lucky. Alex's cardiologist had five sons. And so even when Alex was little, he would tickle him and play with him. And he talked to Alex. I mean, ever since he was little, he talked to Alex. And it was funny because he wouldn't look at me. He would ask the questions, and I knew Alex wasn't going to answer him because he was too young. But I think that was his way of bonding with Alex. He wanted to be looking at Alex. He wanted Alex to know that this was about him. So I really credit his pediatric cardiologist for helping us to set the stage for him to be able to do it. But Alex was studying engineering in school. And engineers are known for being people of concise language. <laughs> Let me put it that yeah. way. Yeah. So, so Alex would give monosyllabic answers and I would do what you did. I would fill in the gaps. <laughs> yes, that's Brendan. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a yeah. lot of kids. And plus, I think it's easy to get intimidated by the doctors and to be a little bit nervous because you don't want them to find something new. I think right. I get nervous before his appointment. I'm always waiting for that other shoe to drop. And I, I don't yeah. want to be that way. And I try to pray for myself to be stronger and not be like that. But there's a part of me. And we didn't find out in utero like you did. So it was a complete yeah. shock to us. 
to have a child who had something so very, very wrong with his heart. But it sounds to me like you're in the process, and this is something that takes years, getting our kids to learn to be advocates for themselves. And I just think it's really tough. And I think having a brand new diagnosis in his adolescence just confounds the situation for him, wouldn't you think? Yes, I do. It's been really hard. You get so comfortable with the heart thing and feel like you know all of that, and then you suddenly have to You've learned to be a pediatric cardiologist, and then you have to learn how to be a, an endocrinologist or whatever ologist. Right. But you're a librarian, and so you're really big on data. And I'm a teacher, so I'm the same way. I'm really big on collecting yes. data and trying to understand yes. as well as we can. And I think that's been helpful for our children, that they have parents who are so involved. I don't know that the kids really, especially at a young age, I don't think they're ready to learn all of that. And then when they get a little older, I think it's easy for them to feel a little bit overwhelmed. I always appreciated it when Alex's cardiologist would once again take out the drawing of the heart and show him what his heart looks like and explain to him what's wrong with it. And he does that at every visit. And you yeah. would think Alex could draw it himself now because yeah. he has seen it so many times. But I think that review is a good thing for them. So what do you think is the most difficult part about being the parent of an adult with a heart defect when it comes to his medical issues? Well, the hardest thing is just letting go and knowing that you have to give up that role because eventually they're going to have to do it for themselves. And right. one of the hardest things for me was leaving the children's hospital I mean, I had a great relationship with them, and adult hospitals are totally different. When he got one of his pacemakers, and they kept him overnight, and one of the nurses, she said, oh, you better be glad that you're having this here. She said, adult hospitals are brutal. They just let you out the same day, and we had a great relationship. I was on the family advisory board for Arkansas Children's Hospital for, I just got off a couple of months ago, and so I had a great rapport with everybody there and go to somewhere totally new and I'm sure that was Mm -hmm. probably difficult for him as well but just letting go and then dealing with the worry of they're going to grow up they're going to have to get a job they're going to need a job that has benefits with good insurance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just how they're going to manage it without you there (laughs) I know, I know. I have the same worries. I do too. Especially since Alex was studying engineering and he's decided, no, I want to be a writer. At least with engineering, I had a hope that he would make enough money that he could pay for the insurance if he wasn't with a company that provided the insurance. But as a writer, this is all going to be on him. And I believe he can do it. I believe in him. But it makes it a lot scarier for me. So what is Brendan doing for his future? He has an associate's degree from a local community college, which I'm really proud of him. It took him three years. It was a two-year plan. But in the midst of all of that, last year in October is when he had surgery. He has a major scar from part of his heart scar at the chest to around his belly button, cut through all that muscle to get that tumor out. And he had surgery on a Tuesday. And he was able to return to half of his classes the following Monday, went to the second half of the classes on Wednesday, went to church on Sunday. And so we're very proud of him, even though it took him a little bit longer to get it. And now he's going to the University of Central Arkansas, and 
His major is mass communication, and he's wanting to do sound and lighting technology, like run light boards and sound boards and that sort of thing. So I don't know what the future is for insurance with that job, but I hope Actually, that could be really good. Yeah, that could be really good. I know Joey wants to be an actor, as you you and I have talked about in the past. And in a way, I wish he would want to do Sound of Lights because there are a gazillion people who want to be acting on that stage. But there's only a handful of people who know how to run the Sound of Light boards, and they get paid. (laughs) In our community theater, the actors don't get paid, but the Sound of Light people sometimes do. If they can find volunteers, they'll they'll use the volunteers, especially even for some of the local colleges. When they do productions, the actors are not paid, but the Sound of Light people are paid. So, yeah, that's encouraging. Yes, that is encouraging. Uh, It's not uncommon for our children with congenital heart defects to develop additional problems as they age or for the problems that they were born with to get worse. So what advice would you give to other parents whose children have multiple medical issues into their young adulthood? Well, I think maybe learning from the mistakes I made is I wish I had started earlier educating Brendan about his condition and what it's going to mean down the road and that he has to keep up with everything and just prepare them for what's going to happen, let them know what they need to watch for. And I think maybe the key to that was be to work with your health care professionals and get them to help you. Make sure they talk mm-hmm. to the patient. Mm-hmm. Instead of talking to the mom, talk to the patient and get them involved mm-hmm. and Sometimes they'll take advice from somebody else or they won't mm-hmm. take advice from mom. Absolutely, so, absolutely. So I think I should have started earlier and made sure Brendan really understood just what all was involved with his health, and especially now because this tumor disorder is something that he is going to have to be watched. He's going to have to be seen by an endocrinologist. Twice a year, we'll probably be making some more trips to the National Institutes of Health. They have the world's leading expert on the acromocytoma periganglioma research there. And just let him know this is something you have to do if you are going to survive this. Right. And that's what it's about. It's about their survival, which is why it's so darn important that they understand it and that they do learn how to be good advocates for themselves. Well, thank you so much, Alison, for coming on the show and for sharing with us. Now it's time for a commercial break, but don't leave yet. Coming up next, we'll have a chance to meet another heart parent, find out what it's been like for him to watch his little girl grow up, get married, and leave home when we return to Heart to Heart with Anna. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, A handbook for parents will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today we are talking with heart parents, Alessandra Crimes and Frank Seleski, about parental changes or parenting changes when your CHD warrior grows up. 
Frank Seleski is a father to three wonderful children, two sons and one daughter. His 27-year-old daughter, Lauren Bednards, was born with tricuspid atresia and hypoplastic right ventricle, which basically means she was born with half a heart. Lauren had a Fontan procedure almost 25 years ago. Frank has been a mortgage banker for over 30 years. He's an outgoing, funny guy who loves to socialize and enjoy sports. Frank lives in Michigan, and Lauren lives all the way in Texas with her husband. Despite distance, they still have a close relationship. Frank has always tried to keep positive in raising his CHD daughter and is proud of how proactive and knowledgeable she is with her care. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Frank. Well, thanks for having me, Anna. Sounds like it's going to be amateur hour because it sounds like you and the other moms seem to know each other very well. <laughs> well, yes, I feel like I really know Alison. We even had a chance to meet in person, but I've met your daughter in person, and I know Lauren so well. She's been a guest on my show twice, and she's probably going to be a guest on my show this season as well. So for our listeners who are longtime listeners, they may remember Lauren. She was on our show, The Post-Traumatic Stress Disorders, Anxiety, and Survivor's Guilt in the CHD Community, which was in Season 1. And in Season 2, she was in the Adult Congenital Heart Defect Survivors Finding Love episode, which I absolutely love. She did that with Jenny and Nick Busta, and she and Chris were both on. It was such a great episode. So I feel like I really know Lauren, and I kind of feel like I know you tangentially through Lauren. And we all know that she has been dealing with anxiety as she has grown up, and that she also has a wonderful, loving husband, Chris. So my question to you is, what was the most difficult event that you had to deal with in watching Lauren grow up and start to take control of her own health issues? Well, it's very difficult to put your finger on just one thing, but I would have to say one of the few times I did worry about her was when we were going through a divorce, my ex-wife and I, and she started to withdraw a lot. She started to get depressed a lot. She started to stay in her room, came kind of reclusive, and she wasn't interacting with her friends. And then she called me one day and said, Dad, I want to drop out of school. And then I started getting concerned, and I said, Lauren, maybe you need to talk to somebody. You should probably go see a counselor and or a psychiatrist and or a psychologist and it's very difficult when you hear those things because as she was growing up, she was very interactive. And just like the other caller's son, she rarely ever showed that she was sick or hurt or anything was wrong with her. In fact, her friends used to say, oh, geez, you know, you say you only have a half heart, but you go bowling and you do this and you do that. <laughs> so, I can't imagine then, her being depressed. That must have been so scary for you. It is because we went to a couple classes together and found out it was uncommon to suffer depression and anxiety and that, like you were just saying. It's, it's mm-hmm. common. You worry. She worries about waking up every day. Is she going to die today? I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine going through that. You and I probably can't relate to that. Not, day, not to the degree they can. No. Right, because no. as you know, she's going through another issue right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yes, so it's so perfect for both you and Alcan to be on because, yes, Brendan is going through this issue with the tumors and... Lauren has her own issues that she's going through that are not heart-related, necessarily. But these kids with Fontan physiologies, which is what Alex and Lauren have, they do tend to, as they get older, start to develop some other problems. And that can be worrisome. Can you tell me what it was like to watch Lauren get married and then move so far away from home? I have two other children, and to say it was a lot different for her to move away, I would be lying because... My youngest son lives in Texas, and it's hard on me because he's only 16. But that being said, I knew Chris. That was my girlfriend's nephew. 
We introduced them. I think we talked about this. And in fact, I lived with them for a while when the economy crashed and things went bad. I had to live with them. I got to know them very well. I think it's always difficult to watch your kid leave the state. But Warren and I talk probably two, three days a week, a uh, half hour, 45 minutes. And we try to keep in touch and try to keep it light and try not to talk about anything but good things except when we have to. But it, it was difficult. Mm-hmm. When you have somebody watching your daughter that cares as much as you or more, it's a comforting thought. Yes, yes. And he's so knowledgeable. And if he doesn't know, he's not afraid to go look up the answers, which I really, really appreciate it. He is not afraid to be an advocate for Lauren. And that has to make you feel a little bit better. Yes. And as you know, it never goes away. And I miss her a lot of times. And, you know, you hang up the phone and, you know, geez, I wish I could jump on a plane and go give her a big hug and kiss. And and (laughs) can't do that. It's not easy. But then I see some other people struggle with relationships with their kids that they live in the state and they don't talk. So I'm right, right. You know, you get to look at the thing uh, half instead of half empty, half full. And she may not be in the state, but her and I talk. We communicate. We like each other. We love each other. Oh, she's them. still a daddy's girl. I mean, it's just so clear. In fact, for our listeners, I usually ask my guests to write their bios and send them to me. And in this case, Lauren wrote her dad's bio. <laughs> I thought that oh, was you're so turning sweet. me in, are you, huh? <laughs> oh, I thought it was so well, sweet that she said, oh, I can do this. Of course, who knows you better than your kids, or at least who thinks they know you better than your kids. But I just thought oh, that was so sweet. Right? She, you know. Yeah, I mean, and she just adores you. She adores you. She was so excited that you were coming on the show. So now my big question for you is, how has your role as a parent changed regarding the care that you have provided Lauren in the past for her heart and her other health conditions? Let's put it this way. From the time they're children to the time they grow up, you're always there. They scrape in when you're there. She goes for her annual checkup, you're there. You're listening, you get first-hand information, you know exactly what's going on, and if you don't, her and I used to talk about it, but now I sit by the phone, and if she has something going on, i got to wait for her to give me a call, and it's like you were saying, it's kind of like you get these little anxieties. I hope it's not worst-case scenario, and mm-hmm. you know, it's never, never easy to sit there and wait because you'll prefer to be there in person, like you were saying, you and your son. He wants to go by himself. Well, Lauren, while she lived here and up till she met Chris, wanted me to go there all the time. Be her sounding board or listening board, and maybe I heard something she didn't hear. Right, right. That's what I tried to explain to Alex. I wish you would tell Alex that for me. (laughs) Because (laughs) he didn't want me anywhere in the room, and he feels that he's a better advocate for himself when he's the only one there. And I can get that because I tend to be loquacious and I develop a rapport with the doctor right away and maybe that makes him feel a little bit shy. I don't know. but Well, I don't know if you know this, um, that, but Lauren's also had four eye surgeries, just right. like a lot of other heart patients. You mentioned this meditative, well, I can't even pronounce what she was talking about. but I know, can't either. <laughs> no, you don't, people that have healthy kids don't understand what Lauren has a heart condition. When she had her eye procedures, they had a gazillion of doctors there to just to put her under to do eye surgery. They were scared to death that she would die of a heart attack. 
I mean, yeah, the anesthesia is a totally different yes. monster with our kids' yes. heart defects than it is for a person who's heart healthy, and it is scarier. So you're right. I think that does produce a little bit more anxiety in us parents because we know that things could go wrong, and we're hyper alert and we're hyper vigilant when it comes to our children because, like you said, we were there to kiss their boo-boos. We were there to go to every single cardiology appointment and every single hospitalization at the point where the kids don't even remember. We were there. And so I think it is harder when you're having to sit by the phone and wait or when you're in a different state and you know that everything is up to them to be able to convey to the doctors and you just hope that these doctors are competent enough and that they know enough that they have enough experts there just in case something does go wrong. It's really scary. On that note, I don't know if your listeners know this, Lauren and Chris may be the two most educated heart patients <laughs> I know they go into these doctors and almost give them an interview. You know, that's just going bad. I'm going, oh, these guys are going to have a hands full. If they don't know the answers, Lauren's going to get skittish. Right. That's what I meant about Chris being such a great advocate. The two of them together, and they were so cute on the show that they did with Jenny and Nick, they did convey how I really feel that maybe the girls' heart defects, because in both of these cases it was the women who had the heart defects and the men are heart healthy, but they became very strong advocates, and I think it made them stronger couples. Those two couples are just really amazing. And the way their husbands are there for them and have done the research and have been by their side through everything, it's really, really inspiring. But to deal with the fact that your spouse may not wake up one day or may die on you one day, and then they got to have a major operation and they die at 40 years old, I don't know if I could deal with that. Yes, you can, because you did it already. I'm sure the doctors at one point told you that you could lose Lauren. You didn't just give up on her. You were there by her side the whole time. So you do know what it's like. It's not the same when it's your daughter as it is if it's your wife. I understand that because you choose your wife and God blesses you with your daughter. But you did make that choice. And I have a feeling if something were to happen to your girlfriend that you're with right now, you wouldn't make yourself scarce. You would be there because you've already proven that you could handle living with somebody who has a chronic illness. But that they found people who knew ahead of time and were willing to stay with them and are willing to be there for them, I think that is pretty amazing. Nick Busta has a wonderful blog, a video blog that he's putting out that talks about loving someone with a broken heart. And if you haven't had a chance to see it, I'll make a point of putting that link on this show again, too, because I think it's really amazing, and it speaks directly to what you and I were just talking about. We only have about two minutes left. I can't believe how quickly the time has gone, but I have so enjoyed talking with both of you. We have so much to be thankful for, and it is tough watching our children grow up and become adults and take charge of their own life their medical problems and everything, but it is such a joy and it is such a blessing that we've had a chance to be there with them through all of this and watch them become the amazing people that they are. So thank you again for coming on the show. I can't believe the time is up, but it is. And that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. We at Heart to Heart with Anna hope that you enjoyed the encore presentations we broadcast during May of 2016. Starting June 2017, we will begin Season 8 of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our first episode will be taking charge of my life with a congenital heart defect survivor. We are very excited about Season 8. 
The theme for season eight will be care for adults with congenital heart defects, and I think you'll really enjoy the shows we have prepared for this season. I'm looking forward to presenting next week's brand new episode, so please tune in on Tuesday at noon Eastern time for the first episode of season eight. Until then, please find and like us on Facebook, check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and our Cafe Press Boutique, follow our radio show, and remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. Mm